Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday afternoon, and um, I have a few minutes, and so I'll just share a few um, historical observations, um, if I'm able to. Once again, thanks to Mishpachas Stefanski. And um, this would be about the Hanukkah of the historical texts, which is a whole partial by itself. Uh, there's the Hanukkah of Lamptus, there's the Hanukkah of history, the Hanukkah of metahistory, etc., etc. Um, as and this is something that became a big political football in the last couple hundred years, especially with the rise of the Haskalah and the modern Jewish historians, and then the counter histories of the Orthodox, and so forth and so on. Now, what's interesting is um, the way at least some um, outliers probably uh, were prepared to really subject, in their opinion, the their analysis of the history of Hanukkah, the evolution of the history of Hanukkah. You hear what I just said? The Hanukkah, as we know it today, evolved. It wasn't identical all the time, uh, even from even from from sources. So, uh, one very famous one is that, it's famous in the 20th century, it was written in the 20th century, uh, one famous one goes like this. And, and it's funny to me because, you know, um, there's the Megillus Tynus, which has the longest um, uh, thing to say, paragraph to say, long paragraph about Hanukkah itself. And I've done it in the past, and I just don't want to repeat myself, and it's on that thing I did the other day, you know, put up online, that long uh, speech. Um, but for very briefly, it says, what is my Hanukkah? And there's cause of the miracle of the oil. And then it says something along the lines of, um, why did they make it eight days? And they said, because they took eight days to to, to build and construct a new Klesharis. And then it says, Ma'aro Hadlikasaneris. You know, so the Pashtist, the way I always learned, it goes like this. Uh, why did they institute a law called lighting the Hanukkah licht. Um, all the other days of Megillus Tainus are not like that. They're days of no tachnun, as we'd say today. Lo lemisbed, but lohun, lo lishanisbon. No fasting and no hasbed. <laughs> Don't say that there, there's no other date on the Megillus Tainus, which is about 20 or 30 days, in which it says that there's some other practice in addition to um, refraining from hasbed and Tainus. And yet we all know Hanukkah is not simply a day of skipping Tachnun and saying Hallel. Uh, in our culture, the main thing of Hanukkah is, the, is lighting the candles. And all the halachas that go along with that. So, um, it goes on to say that that's to commemorate the seven spears, the original junkie menorah, as I always put it, um, which was very significant to them because a lot of blood had been shed for them to, uh, you know, liberate the temple, at least temporarily. And uh, they didn't have fancy golden manure, of course, because that's a work of art that requires, you know, Michelangelo or something like that. 
and uh, didn't matter. They put together whatever manure they could and started it up. The uh, avoda, um, and as a matter of fact, there's something aesthetic even about using the the, the spears, the spooty bars of the spears, as the manure. You know, like in other words, they're they're mysterious nefesh. I mean that literally, sense of of losing casualties and, and shedding blood in order to uh, liberate the temple. That became the physical mode. So which they uh right? become the Hadlocus neighbors. So I mean that's just an interesting uh, business. And you could give a whole speech based on that. Very yekish of the Middle Ages, like the Maril type, where you take a physical object and you make that the ritual object because it bears uh in its very uh you know physical being the 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 message aesthetically of the miracle. In other words, according to this, Dicker's thing would have been the, the war. You understand, and the mysterious nefesh. I say that because there wasn't anybody in the Maccabean army, if you follow the book, who hadn't been wounded or lost relatives, or maybe whole families were wiped out or killed by the Hellenists and by the Greeks. So it was a bloody business, and that is usually the way, in, as I understand it, you interpret the Megillus Tinus, and uh, and that supplies the reasons for how Hanukkah was constructed. They made a thing called Hanukkah. In other words. To commemorate, you know, the Lola Mispah, the Lola Sanspahon. And then they made it eight days for this reason. And then they also instituted a special ceremony everybody should light a candle. Um, it's it's what he called well known that really Neri should base. All you need is a single candle, especially in those days, not like nowadays when you have electricity. So uh, candles were rare, you know, it wasn't so widely used, cost money. Remember, Psilos is shmanim that are no good for Shabbos are okay for Hanukkah. Meaning you can use junky stuff, junky wicks and junky uh, oil, and when it's not oil, you know, fuel. Uh, and what you always have to keep in mind, as I've said in the past, is the economic side of things. The Chazal were not interested, the Chacham were not interested in imposing, maybe they weren't able even to impose a financial burden on the public. You know, you can say Shabbos, Yantav is a great time. Yeah, if you're middle class, you can afford it. But if you're working, living hand to mouth, and if you don't work that day, you don't get any money, and you have a family to feed, it's not so pushy to take off Yantav Shani Shogolius and all this other kind of business. You understand? There's like an economic pressure to work and bring home the, the, the bucks and, you know, and put food on the table. And so when they said we're going to make a new holiday of Hanukkah, just imagine if they would have said we're going to make this eight days of um, Isser Malach. I mean, it would it would be too hard of a of an economic burden on the uh, masses, you see. And similarly, they didn't say, "Oh, you should do like Mahadman Mahadman, one candle, two candles. You need thirty six, thirty six stinking candles. Oh my God! Plus the shamas. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of money once upon a time for people. You see. Instead, what they said, as we all know, is Neri Shabesa, one candle is enough. And, uh, and, you know, that brings its own thing. How do you know it's a, it's a, it's an Erechanika and not something else? So that's usually the way, you, you know, it, it, I've always interpreted I think most people, if they give any a sense of it, uh, think about it all, will interpret the evolution of Hanukkah. That it was all Masakin more or less at the same time. And it had these different features, although they had to accommodate for the public economics, um, you know, because the public can't afford a lot of fancy candles. Shine. But if you want to be, let me put it this way. That's if you read closely to Miguel's Tinus and you interpret it the way I just said. 
And the Megillus Tainus is quoted by the Talmud Bavli. And uh, in the famous Gemara and Shabbos in 21, 22, Chafal, Chafes. And, um, but they only quote part of it. And they only quote the part of the, of the miracle, the oil. And as we all know, it says that there was only enough for one day lasted eight days. Loshana Cheres, come Hodah. So the following year they made a holiday in terms of Halva Hodah. Not Isser Malacha, but Halva Hodah. So, uh, what does it not say? It doesn't say that they instituted Halo Hodah and Hadlokas Aneris. Hadlokas That's what it should say, correct? But it does not say that. It omits it. Now, again, I said this is the Hanukkah of the texts. If you read the source from which the Talmud Bavi is quoting, eventually they get to it. But the Gemara, if you only have the Gemara, which is usually what a lot of people only add, uh, that has an integrity of its own. It came within rabbinic culture to have an integrity of its own. And you just studied the Gemara Kacha. And if you look at the Gemara just like that, then it omits the story of the oil. I mean, I'm, the, I beg your pardon. It omits the, 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 the uh, obligation to light the menorah. Uh, so we have two famous controversies. One is only the Gemara, only the, only the Miguel's Tainus talks about the miracle of the oil. The book of Maccabees, Josephus, Yosef, and all that business omit the story of the oil. So it seems to be some kind of conspiracy, whatever, not to say the miracle of the oil. Um, that has generated an entire literature of its own. And so I say all the time, unless you're from Jew, you don't believe that happened. I, I, I've often said, you know, if you want to have, I used, when I was younger, you used to have fun. You go to, to, to Barnes and Noble, one of these type of places, look at these Hanukkah books, Hanukkah books, you know, which are usually come out that time of the year. And when it gets to the story of the oil, they fudge it because the people writing are not from, so it's old. They got their their freedom as if the the, the light had shone for eight days, or there's a legend the light shone for eight days. You know what I mean? Because they don't believe this. They go with the Book of Maccabees and they and they're not interested in what the Gemara has to say, and certainly what the Miguel's Tinus has to say. To them, it's a legend. The Frum Jews say no. Miguel's Tinus omitted it. We don't know why. There are, there are suggestions. The Halevi said it was written by Tzedukim. Uh, there are other, you know, suggestions why it is, but we go with the Gemara, you know, like that. It ain't the only case where you have machlokas of narratives, and for a modern Bible critic, none of the stories that you find in the Bible itself are true either. So you know, they go their way, and this one goes this way. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's nothing special. Hanukkah's no more controversial in that regard than Kriyas Yamsuf. They don't believe it was a Kriyas Yamsuf or, or anything like that. Okay, but within the from world, so uh, there were a number of controversies, especially in the last couple hundred years, and um, I noticed like in 19th century particularly, even in some from circles, I think, this is just my guess, the, the notion of historical development, that things never remain exactly the same, but they're always changing to some degree or another, which is the fundamental foundation for the study of history, the change is a constant, you understand? It's never exactly the same. You're not who your parents were. Of course, in some ways you are, but in some ways not. And, you know, the breakfast you eat today is not the same breakfast you ate yesterday, and so forth. There's always a change. So, this kind of sensibility is modern, starts around 1800 or so, and certainly didn't hit the firm world 
right away, but eventually kind of did. And it's just interesting to me that in the light of this, you find once in a while great Rabbonim, Gedolim, um, who incorporate a certain amount of historical development in their speculations about uh, certain uh, Yamam Tovim institutions. I'm thinking out loud, for example, I forget who it is, but one of uh, the Binyan Shlomo, who was the chief rabbi of Vilna, uh, is a from guy, and he had this thing, you know, uh, by the McGill laning. If I remember correctly, I think he said, first they were Masakin to read the McGill just at night, and later in history they added in the day. I may have it backwards, but it doesn't matter. In other words, the way we do it today, we read McGill at night and we do it again in the day, which the Gamarium talks about, uh, came later in history. So that would mean he's arguing for historical evolution of the practices of the holiday point. Which is just interesting. And I'll repeat, that's from a, from a guy, the Binyan Shlomo. So similarly, when you get to Hanukkah, it's always been famous or whatever, that how come the Gemara doesn't say, Loshana Cheres Kabm L'Hala Hodal? So, um, one of the speculations out there was from the, uh, uh, what they call the, the Kutnagon, which is a little bit of a misnomer. There was a famous Godel in Poland. Uh, you know, uh, what was his name? Yoshua Kutner. I remember his name was like Yisrael, Eliyahu, Yoshua, something like that. The reason I remember it is because they named him Yisrael for the Baal Shem Tov, Eliyahu for the Groh, and Yeshua for Pnei Yeshua. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting. Imagine somebody would do that today, you know? I name you... Uh, Noda and uh, Igros and uh, you know what I mean and and some other saver. It's just interesting. And he was a great goon in the nineteenth century. Um he was one of these Polish types, which means he was a tremendous goon. He himself was not a Rebbe. He was a Rov, but he himself was a chassid of other Rebbes, you know, like that. Uh and his grandson uh, published his works. The grandson died in 1939, just before the Second World War. The grandson was the Rav of Kutna later in the 20th century, obviously. The grandfather was in the 19th century. And the grandson was Shtickle Zionist. I don't know if people know that or not. He was, he was a Mizrahi, and then eventually ended up with the Polia Aguda. I think the Mizrahi was a little bit too far to the left for him. The, the Aguda was too far to the right for him, and Polia Aguda was just about right, you know. So that's a, so all I'm trying to say is like this. He was a tremendous goon. He was Robin Kutner in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s. Uh, so you know, he was a rub of a Polish city. When I say a Polish city, Kutner had six or 7,000 Jews. But, you know, that's a player. And uh, and he publishes his grandfather's stuff. And in one of his writings, one of his essays that he appended to the grandfather's writings, uh, he says, maybe the reason they say Kavim L'Halohodah and not because they weren't so say, what do you mean by that? We all like the candles. He's, he says, maybe, I repeat, this is a, a speculation. He doesn't know. He's speculating. He's suggesting it's a possibility. Right? He doesn't know. How can you know? He's you know playing with the idea of maybe it's like this, that um, they had a tremendous miracle they were covered by Halav Hodal, but not for lighting candles in the window. So where'd that come from? When the base and mix were destroyed, so you no longer had any candles at all. So 
They're masakin then what we do today, which is everybody should light a candle near Yishu Beso. Uh, to make it for the fact there's no more Beso Migish and you can't see it. So in other words, if you lived, according to this suggestion, if you lived in the time of Bayashani, after Hanukkah, so every year came 25th of Kislev, so you did Halavahodah, and uh, you also, and by the way, if you go like the Miguel Santiago's, uh, not that that's historical, you also do parties, and then um, you could visit the base of English or be inspired there with the knowledge that right now in Yerushalayim, uh, which might be 100 miles away from my house in Eretz Israel, the Kohanim are lighting the candles as they did once b- before. You see? No, it's, it's, it's going, with the Maccabees restored, it's now being conducted every single day. And that is a tremendous chizik, and that gave Hanukkah an extra oomph. But when the Romans destroyed the base of Mishra, she didn't have that anymore. And so, in order to make up for that, we don't have base of Mishra, which you can feel the oomph by realizing that what the Maccabees accomplished is still perpetuated every single day without exception, because every day and night they light and extinguish and put out and they light again the menorah, the din of the mitzvah locus and Harris. Now there isn't that, so maybe then then they started either with a direct takana or something like that, because it's unclear. You know, I mean, he's speculating with this. He said, you know, maybe the Sanhedrin or somebody got together and said, now we want to make it that all Kalisrael should light the candles. Which is kind of interesting. Because um, you're saying that the main part of Hanukkah to you and I came later in history as a kind of a logical reaction to the destruction of Reis and uh, Now, it might be true, it might not be true. He doesn't say he knows. How can you possibly say you know? He's just trying to say that would explain why it only says Halvodo, which uh, again, you know, he wasn't a. I mean, he was a from person, you know, I mean, he was one of the leaders of him in Poland. Although I would say he's a little bit, a little bit on the modernish side, a little bit, not really, but a little bit. Um, so uh, th- that caused a lot of uh, you know uproar and things. But, but you know, you can't prove it or disprove it. Not that I'm aware of. But if you ever see that, you'll know where it comes from. Because uh, many have commented on it, because the idea sounded, um, how should I put it, kosher maskilic. You get it? Sounds like it might become a skillic idea, but it's a kosher idea. In other words, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Right? Let's say, for example, it was true, you know, which there's no way to know. Okay, you know, that doesn't take away from Hanukkah, right? You know, let's say they made the Takana later on. Big deal. Like, like who cares? You know, how do you get uh, angry about that? I'm sure people can get angry, but I'm just saying, you know, <clears throat> where would it be? Now, um, what's it? But that's not the, you know, so l- let me make my point. So you think um, that's kind of an outlier. But uh, what's really uh, equally interesting is um, you find a similar idea of all places in uh, Rav Sternbach, in the Modem Muzmanen. Uh, he's from it and from. He's from it and from it and from. Um, and yeah, you can find when he's talking about Hanukkah, I mean, he's also bothered by this idea. And he says... Uh, this is Rav Sternbach writing, not me. I'm not sure. No, is he coming out to say the same thing? Uh, Sternbach, that is. I don't know if the Chashmanayim were the ones 
who made this takana of Hadlok al Pesach Abayis Mivechutz. Oh, name of Shachashmanim, take me Rakel Yamim to Halvodah. I will call Sman Shedliku Beis Hamikdash. He gufa Haya Oshet Zochel Mitzat Lacha. See, he says the same thing, right? When Meloshim Brayso Lashon Acheres Come Basom Halvodah, Masha Shem Lo Tik Bezmanim Lashon Acheres. So it sounds like the original Chanukah, which was Mesakained Bishon Acheres, meaning the following year, um, the what do you call it? It, it uh, didn't include the, Adlaka, the Mitzvah Hadlaka. Okay, uh, although you got to admit the language is funny. I mean, if I wanted, you could play with this, and that's why I'm sharing this with you. You know, you know so you should. If you never heard before, then you can uh, sort of, you know, uh, play with this. Uh, because it says, uh, doesn't say the following year, does it? Uh, what's the language? Lishana Cheres is not the same thing as We usually read it that way. I mean, I do too. But maybe it means something else. You know, you, you get what I'm saying? Doesn't say literally Lishana Cheres. I mean, doesn't say Lishana Habo. So there was some other year that they were misogynists. But I'll put that aside. So anyway, when we Lishana Brisa, uh, um, and then he says, but the Megillah Santiago sounds like they did do it. I, you see, I told you, a lot of these people like Rob Sternbuck go with the Megillah Santiochus. And there, it sounds like um, the language of Megillah Santiochus is as follows, assuming that it was written in Hebrew. That's a debate. Alken kimu b'nei chashmanoi kim b'chalku iser um, to make him a day of Mishta Besimcha, which you know is not what the Gemara says. And to do Hadlokas Neiros. I mean, does he mean like what we do? It, it kind of sounds like it. But see, I want to tell you something. Really, 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 as far as I understand, as I mentioned the other day, Miguel Santiago was written much later. Probably in 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 the pre Gaonic era in that that period, I think. By which time Hanukkah was already uh, you know a, a well known holiday, and I told you it's an anti karay thing. Omnam near this is Sternbuchta. Hey, take no yamil simcha v'halot take lehodas. And then he said like this. Maybe it means like this. This is Sternbuch. I repeat, these are all speculations. They're not laying this down. It's not possible to lay down. These are Hanukkah of the texts. When you have the texts, especially if they're Talmudic texts, they're subject to interpretation, not any hard and fast final thing. What's interesting to us is how far they're willing to take the interpretations. So, based on this, Sternberg modifies what he said, not exactly like the Rishul Kutner, and he says, uh, or Yabit Yitzhak Kutner, So maybe... He says, in Echonami, they made a Takana from day one to light the kindles. But they didn't make it an individual um, uh, chiv. See, here he comes up with, again, a very interesting and original speculation, which basically means like this. Maybe there were Masakin only to do it in synagogues and places like that. And the idea that you and I have today, that everyone likes in this house, came later, after the destruction of the temple. I'll be mechash manoim shedliko b'migdash, lo hedliko kolech al ha-pesach b'gvulin. 
right? They didn't light everybody in in their house. Rakfianira, but rather Kfianira, in other words, we speculate. Bemisibis, Ubatakanisius, Ugodome, Likobashibur. Like a Labavich thing, you do it in public squares. You understand? You know, like a Chabad thing. You, you, it became a custom, he's suggesting, or the Takana, whatever, to light it in public situations. Lavdavka in your house. Abol Takana, Kavua, Neri, Shabeso, Tiknuacherkach. Right? And um, I think that's very, that's, you know, that again, that's not the way we usually understand it. So we have two theories. I repeat, they're theories. By two very famous Rabbanim, A and B. The first one is that the practice that we all have, obviously, which to us I think is like the central part of Hanukkah, which is Adlokas and Eris, and the whole ceremony that goes along with that, is post-Second Temple, meaning it only came after the Korban. Um, alternatively, uh, the, the evolution was as follows, that the Maccabees and said, you should light it in public squares. Uh, in synagogues, if there were such things, uh, which there were, of course, uh, shoals already at that time, particularly in the Chutzlarts. And uh, maybe he said, Bimisibis knows if they had a chasana, if they had a bar mitzvah, you know, something like that. Uh, so it give it a, a presuming nisa in the literal sense of presuming nisa. And um, later that spilled, in, that changed into, you know, an individual chi of chava de gavra. That everybody, you and I, all have to light, men and women, by the way, all have to light uh, Hanukkah candles in their home, right? In their home. And, uh, of course, that too eventually, as we know, um, evolved. Because first it was Pesach Beso, but when the anti-Semitism came in, as everybody knows, they eventually had to do it in the inside the house, in the living room, where nobody else can see it. And so, it's possible to construct a whole scenario uh, plausible, anyway, uh, of the wanderings of the menorah, you know, did, I mean, the Hanukkah, you know, did it, did it, uh, you know, start here, did it start there, did it pop up here? Incidentally, if this is true, what Rabbi Sternberg says, I'm saying, you know, if that's true, that would explain this strange custom that we all light with a bracha in Shul. You know, all the classic super OCD technical halacha authorities I always wondering how can you make a bracha batoli? You know, it's a, you, you know, it's neri shabeso. It's not a thing in the shul. Uh, what is that all about? You know, if you make a bracha in shul, you make one home and all the array that goes along with it. Um, and you know, there are suggestions that the rivash and the others, whatever. Uh, but if 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 I say if, Rav Sternberg is right in the Moadim Bismanim, It could be that when we laid in shul, that was the original takana. <laughs> And it still has survived. So then it would be a very typical Jewish ceremony in which it doesn't have to make internal logic. It's evolution and one custom built on top of the other. Notice when they put in Neri Shubeso, they were not Mavato, the old Minig of um, of lighting and shul. Which is, again, very interesting because it could be the lighting and shul in a historic sense. In terms of chronology, is older and even precedes um, the lighting that we have in the house. These are famous speculations. I'll say it again. It seems to me that if you read the Miguel's Tainus, it kind of takes care of that. Obviously, these great people, Sternbach and the others, are not reading Miguel's Tainus the way I said it. When it says, Mauro, Lahadlik, Zaneris, he's obviously not referring to the custom of Neri Shabeso. I mean, they don't read it that way, that they're questioning the custom of Neri Shabeso. 
Because if they were, then this whole thing wouldn't start in the first place. So they must be reading it some kind of a different way. This is a taste I just gave you of what I call not Hanukkah of the history, and not Hanukkah of the meta history, and not Hanukkah of the Lomdas, and not Hanukkah of the Hasidus, and not Hanukkah of the Kabbalah, but rather Hanukkah of the texts, okay? And the analysis of the texts. I just figured I would share that with you once again. I want to thank Mishpacha Stavinsky, wish everybody good Shabbos and Freyach Hanukkah. And if you hear this for Shabbos especially, you'll have something to uh, to uh, you know, shoot the bull about. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.